Hey y'all, it's Matt, and it is October 21st, 2023, I think, yeah, yeah, yesterday was Mario and Spider-Man, right, yeah, October 21st, 2023, and this is your weekly, I guess we're making it official now, weekly um, solo show for me, your games and news from Critical Diversions. Uh, yeah, I'm still not 100% committed to that, but we've been doing it for a while now. Let, let's just, let's go with it. It's mostly a weekly show, and maybe sometimes we don't make it, depending on what's happening, at least for right now. Um, first and foremost, before we get into anything, I'm doing a little bit different of a setup this time. Um, I've been using just my uh, little Apple uh, earbuds that come with your iPhone, that I've had for years, just been using that as my microphone. Um, we don't have a headset anymore. Uh, we had one, it was aging, we threw it away thinking we had another headset. We should have just kept it. Um, I've never been happy with how my audio sounds and I don't think this is gonna be a um, permanent fix, but I realized the other day that the PlayStation DualSense has a built-in microphone that must be of decent quality. And then I wondered, can I just plug this into my PC and start talking into it and it's going to record? And yeah, that's exactly how it worked. It didn't even need to download drivers. Um, we just fucking went for it and it worked. And I can tell the waveform already looks a lot different. So we're going to see how this goes. See how it sounds. I'm hoping it sounds at least a little bit different, um, better. I guess again, not not just different, but but better different would be my hope. Um, but yeah, I, I hope this uh, this sounds a little bit better. I've been listening to my own solo podcast. I haven't listened to our recent uh, episodes of the show of the of the Games Club meetups yet. I just haven't had time. But uh, another thing. Not everyone might know about me. I fucking hate the sound of my own voice, and I know that's not like an original thing, but it's like a it was like a crippling issue for a while there. Um, that seemed like a bad, dumb thing to to have going on when you are putting together weekly podcasts or nearly weekly podcasts. Um, so I just started forcing myself to listen to my own solo podcasts and. Yeah, I, I really couldn't stand the audio quality. Uh, still can't stand my voice in general, but we'll get used to it. I'm also going to try and cut down on the ums and likes and stuff. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It's going to take time, right? Didn't build Rome in a month. Whatever it is. Let's talk about some stuff. Let's get into it. So, like I mentioned earlier, maybe I didn't mention it earlier, we did our Firewatch meetup a few days ago. I think that was on Tuesday. It feels like it was weeks ago <laughs> at this point. Um, that was on Tuesday. I got the podcast up Wednesday because we did it kind of late, later than usual on Tuesday, at least for me. Um, yeah, I thought that went really well. We had another first timer in on that episode, this time being Megan or Cozy Meg. Uh, which ended up being really perfect for Firewatch because uh, Callie was also in there, so we got to have more of a female perspective, which was really good <laughs> um, because, I, as I talked about last week on the solo episode, um, my wife also watched me play. I tried to convince her to come on to the Firewatch podcast. She, she doesn't want to. It's fine. 
Um, she was very upset <laughs> by a lot of the things happening in that game. Um, to, to a degree that kind of surprised me, even though I understood where she was coming from and I agreed with her, it still surprised me just how <laughs> um, uh, strong of a reaction it was. And right away, that's what we started talking about in our Firewatch meetup with uh, Callie and Megan. And yeah, it, it was really cool. I think it was, I feel like I say this about every one of our episodes lately. I think it was one of our best yet. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just a fun conversation. Also, I won't rehash the entire thing. You could just go listen to the episode. But um, rare case of me like falling in love with a game on replay like way harder than I even did originally. I really liked the game originally. It's always been what I considered my favorite one of these like walking simulators, as the kids say. Um, yeah, it, it, it really cemented itself in that spot for me. I, I fucking, yeah, that game is great. Uh, I highly recommend anyone play it. Um, just a real fucking good time. So Mario wonder is our next meetup and I have no idea <laughs> when that's going to happen. Uh, I don't think there's any chance. I don't really think there's much reason to try and get it done this coming week. It just, I'm sure people will be done with it. Some people, at least. Um, I don't have any interest in blasting through it that fast. I just don't see the point. Uh, I'm also trying to play the whole thing twice. I'm trying to play it all the way through in co-op with my wife. And then do a single-player file. Um, I won't get too into it. Obviously, we, we're going to talk a little bit about Mario Wonder in the games section of this podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know when we're going to do it. I would imagine not this next week, but the week after is what I would like. Um, but we'll figure it out. Um, I'd said before that Mario Wonder was going to be followed by Yakuza Like a Dragon, which we are still doing Yakuza Like a Dragon. It is going to be like our main focus for all of November, I think. Um, it's a pretty long game, even if you skip the cutscenes. Not that I recommend skipping the cutscenes at all. That's the entire point of Yakuza games. Uh, I just know because I watched my wife play the whole thing uh, together and the game was so good when I when we played it two years ago that I instantly started my own file when she was done just so I could see the different jobs uh, that you have access to that she didn't go down and I skipped all the cutscenes because I didn't need to rewatch all of them literally days after <laughs> we beat the game for the first time. Still pretty long, <laughs> even if you do that, so... I guess as a heads up, if you're planning on participating, maybe get on that like sooner rather than later. If you're feeling the need to finish the game uh, by the time we do a meetup about it. Um, obviously, I don't remember exactly what me and my wife did. We did more than the bare minimum, but yeah, we put like over 60 hours and we didn't 100% it or anything, uh, but we did do a lot of the side stuff. Um, anyway, that all said... I would like to do another small, like we're talking like between like four and eight hours long game, probably um, in between Mario and Yakuza, just so we're not going for like a whole month without doing a meetup, I guess. Uh, part of that is just, I, I don't know, the momentum has felt really good uh, with our meetups lately. Uh, again, specifically Edith Finch and Firewatch it to me at least, I don't know if anyone else feels this way, feels like we're kind of hitting a real nice stride um, 
I don't know. We're, it feels like we really hit like a good energy. We're getting like good groups of people and like different people coming in. Um, obviously, I I still want to do very like core gamer focused things here and there. Hence Mario. Um, but yeah, I I would like to do another thing in between Mario and Yakuza, a shorter thing. Haven't figured that out yet. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, I have a few ideas in my head. We'll probably, maybe we'll talk about that in the Discord next week. Definitely before we do Mario, I would like to have that sorted out so people can start playing stuff. That's always my main goal. Um, also, at the end of our Firewatch meetup there was interest expressed i think boogs brought it up but other people have brought it up to me before and since um in doing a spider-man 2 uh meetup which i'm totally down for uh i've been playing that a lot <laughs> and we'll talk about that in a little bit too um basically my rule of thumb is as long as we can get three people into the discord channel and start talking about something we can do an episode on whatever y'all want um, we could even do episodes and stuff that I haven't played. I would just, I could come just to record the meetup or if y'all don't care, y'all can just meet up and talk about whatever you want to, um, specifically for the format that we do in this podcast. I think we bare minimum, we need three people that otherwise we're just having like a recorded conversation between two people. And that, I don't know, that just feels off to me. It doesn't feel like in the spirit of what we're doing, but if anything ever comes down to that, we can do that too, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, I would totally be down to do Spider-Man 2. I think now that I have played like over 10 hours of it in the last 24 hours, um, I think that would make a really good Games Club game. Spoilers for the games section of this podcast. Spider-Man 2 is really, really, really fucking good. Um yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, no, one last thing. Uh, tomorrow, which would be Sunday uh, the 22nd, my wife and I, no concrete plans yet, but I think we are planning on doing one of our game and art streams where she paints a, a picture that she's done and I play the game that that picture is from. In this case, obviously, it would be Mario Wonder. A few weeks ago, she drew up a, a cute picture of Elephant Peach that she has not yet painted. So, yeah, we're talking about doing that. Uh, usually what we do is, like, part of the stream would be us playing it together in co-op. And then the other part of the stream would be her painting while I continue playing. So, I think we're doing that tomorrow. Hopefully we do that tomorrow. They're very fun. If anyone's interested in coming out. Uh, you should do that. <laughs> uh, obviously, I don't have a time. It would probably be uh, late morning, early afternoon at the latest for y'all Americans, which I think is basically <laughs> anyone that is listening to this podcast besides myself. But yeah, that, that should be fun. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it for talking about Games Club stuff, which Jesus... <laughs> We talked for over 10 minutes about this. Sorry, y'all. This might be a longer one. I don't know. Maybe not. We're probably not going to talk too much about Mario, uh, especially if we're doing a games club about it in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Let's get into the games then, right? Yeah, that's how we do it. And then we'll do the break after the games. Let's do it. Enough dilly-dallying. 
Let's get into talking about games. And obviously the game that's on everyone's mind, the hottest new first-party Nintendo release that I've been playing this week, The Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds. Um, Colin replayed this shortly after we did our Oracle of Ages and Seasons meetup. And then Wilkins was showing, or sending us pictures of a bunch of games he was thinking of selling. And Link Between Worlds was in that pile. And I believe both uh, Colin and I were like, no, dude, what are you doing? And then he took it out of the pile and then he started replaying it. And he beat that game in a day, which as Wilkin or as Colin said, is uh, literally the fastest he's ever beaten any game that I'm aware of. Uh, I have never seen that dude demolish like a longer-ish, not that Link Between Worlds is super long, but it's a good at least 20 hours to mainline it, I think. I haven't finished it yet, uh, so Wilkins is a more dedicated gamer than I am. Um yeah, I haven't played Link Between Worlds in... I definitely have played it since it came out, but it's probably been over seven years. It's been a while. Um, my opinion of it this entire time is that it has... It, since it came out, it has been the best 2D Zelda or overhead Zelda, if that's what you prefer to call it. Uh, my opinion has not changed at all. <laughs> if anything, it has only been solidified having just played a bunch of overhead 2D Zeldas in the past year. Uh, as much as I like Oracle of Seasons and Ages and Link's Awakening and Link to the Past and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, man, Link Between Worlds is fucking good. Uh, it's super light and breezy in a way that I don't think I associate with the series in general. Um, it can be hard I wouldn't go that far, but like you could definitely die. It's not like this is one of those games that where it's impossible for you to die. Uh, that said, I don't know if I've ever died in this game, which is kind of a shame because the whole gimmick of it is that, uh, or not gimmick, but the whole structure of this is that instead of finding your normal Zelda items in dungeons and then using those items to solve the entire dungeon or the back half of the dungeon, you are renting them and then later buying them from a character in the game. So this, theoretically, you can just do most of the game in whatever order you want. Or not really theoretically, once you get past the first kind of introduction, three dungeons, you can do the entire Dark World stuff in whatever order you want. You just have to have the right item to get to where you need to go. Um... I don't know. Like it's so light and breezy and just chill, you know, coming to this off of Oracle of ages where those later dungeons, I was stuck in for like two hours at a time uh, to be able to just breeze through and complete a dungeon in like 25 minutes is amazing. Um, I know some people always complain like the complexity of the dungeons wasn't high enough for them and I can see that especially you know this is coming off of Skyward Sword I, I guess was the the previous Zelda before this one um, I don't know the, the interesting thing about this game is that for those that don't know famous words on this podcast it's a direct sequel to Link to the Past which is the, what 1992 3, 4 uh, Super Nintendo entry in the series and one of the most beloved um, it uses the same, uh, general overworld. Like 
it, it the main structure of the light world and even the dark world is like I don't know 80% the same at least like from a geographical point of view obviously like there's different houses and structures and quests and NPCs or whatever but yeah it's a direct revisit of that game um and I love when Nintendo does this shit where they do like a sequel to one of their games, but it's also a stealth remake at the same time. And I assume that's part of the reason why Link Between Worlds even came about was because uh, Nintendo knew of the fan desire for a Link to the Past remake. I'm glad we got a sequel and not a remake. Um, honestly, I I guess I say this a lot. I think Link to the Past is pretty overrated. Um it's still a great game, obviously, don't get me wrong, but, yeah, man, Link Between Worlds, just it has everything that Link to the Past has, and it's better in modern. <laughs> um, I also think, to get back to the puzzles not being as complex as other Zelda games, that also is kind of a throwback to Link to the Past, where people forget this, but I think modern Zelda dungeon design didn't really start until Link's Awakening, where there were, like, actual puzzles to be solved, Link to the Past puzzles are almost all like, hey, kill all the enemies in this room or push this block in this direction or find a hidden door. There's not a lot of interesting design going on there. Um, so in that sense, Link Between Worlds is already a huge improvement uh, over Link to the Past in that way. Uh, the main gimmick being that you can um, turn yourself into a 2D version of Link, and you can walk across flat surfaces, like walls and whatnot. Um, because of the fact that the dungeons aren't explicitly designed around a lot of the items, I mean, they still kind of are, because you still the game knows you need to have certain items to get into certain dungeons, so they can still do, hey, you needed a hookshot to get here, so we're going to make this dungeon have hookshot stuff in it. Um but they can't control when you have everything else. The only thing the game knows is that, hey, they have to have the sword, they have to have this item, and they have to have this 2D ability. Um, so most of the dungeons are heavily, heavily, heavily focused around turning into 2D Link and figuring out your traversal uh, that way. It's really cool. It's really slick. Uh, just the fact that, like, you... Um, I don't know the, how smooth everything is. So it's also a 3DS game, so it has fully functional uh, stereoscopic 3D, but it runs at a pretty solid 60 frames per second. There's dips here and there, but it's nothing significant during actual gameplay. Um, Wilkins specifically brought up like how smooth like the screen transitions are. And yeah, it feels great, especially coming from like the Game Boy games. Uh, and yeah, the transition into and out of 2D just feels cool. Like the way the camera kind of swings around and it turns this overhead game. All of a sudden, the camera is swinging wildly around and then all of a sudden it's focused on this wall that you're um, drawn onto. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that smoothness coupled with the stereoscopic 3D. So it looks like you're looking into this little like diorama almost it feels like you're playing with like a mighty max play set it, i don't know it's one of besides kid icarus uprising i think this is the coolest use of 3d on the 3ds it just looks really fucking good 
especially like when you're going up, like when you're having to scale like Hyrule Castle to get to the top and like at various points you're you're walking around on the outside and you can look down and see the lower levels and you can see, you know, Hyrule itself below and like bodies of water and stuff. Man, <laughs> this game is really fucking good. When we did our Zelda rankings, I think I had this as like my number three. I think it's like Wind Waker and Link Between Worlds are like to me indisputably the two best traditional Zeldas, quote unquote. Uh, basically, what I mean is Zelda's prior to Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, which I kind of view those as their own things. Uh, not that that's bad or that they are lesser. Tears of the Kingdom is definitely my favorite Zelda game, but Wind Waker and Link Between Worlds, I don't know. Just They just feel so good. They're so well designed. Uh, the only thing I would really complain about with Link Between Worlds is the atmosphere is not as good especially compared to the other uh, 2D games like the Oracle games and Link's Awakening, they don't really have anything or it doesn't really have anything special going on on that front, at least in a major grand scale, even compared to Link to the Past. You know, I to me, the most interesting part about Link to the Past is how it opens up and it's like raining and storming and you have to sneak into the castle. That just feels so cinematic and cool, especially for the time period it was made. Uh, Link Between Worlds doesn't really have any of that, especially when it comes to, I don't know, like a little one-off like rainstorm sections. Maybe it does, and I just haven't reached it, but I don't remember anything like that. That said, sometimes it, it has little moments. When I was playing the other day, I got to, there's an NPC that hangs out under a bridge and gives you a bottle in both Link to the Past and Link Between Worlds. I believe it's under the same bridge. Uh, in the original, or rather in Link to the Past, it looked cool. I, like, I remember you're under this bridge uh, that's over like a river, and it's like a screen transition when you're swimming under the bridge, and you can kind of see like the shadow of the bridge above you uh, hitting hitting the water below. But it, it, I don't know, it didn't, it doesn't stand out that much whereas in link between worlds like it's silent under there and the npc is like a bird watcher and he just wants peace and quiet and he talks about uh he just wants solitude he doesn't want anything to do with anything uh on or above the bridge he just wants to stay under here and camp out and watch birds and just live in peace uh and yeah i don't know the quietness of it there's birds chirping very softly i, I don't know it really that really hit me uh, really fucking cool moment in the game. I just wish there was like more stuff like that. The game also doesn't have like the classic Zelda, you know, sense of humor, at least not for the most part. There's no really weird NPCs hanging around. Uh, again, maybe that's even supposed to be a throwback to Link to the Past because there's not really that much weird or funny stuff going on in Link to the Past either. And this is a direct sequel slash throwback to that. So maybe that's what they were going for. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, 10 years later, if you haven't played link between worlds yet, you should play link between worlds. I would also be down speaking of doing games club sessions. If enough people wanted to get together and talk about link between worlds, I would fucking love that. 
also would give me uh, more incentive to finish the game. I'm in the I'm like halfway through the Dark World. I think I've done three or four Dark World dungeons, but with all these other games out, all of a sudden I don't know if I'm gonna have time to finish them or finish the game rather. Um, which I guess we're going to use as our transition into the next game. I am talking, of course, about Mario Wonder or Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Honestly, I, I'm, I don't want to talk about it too much. We're doing a whole Games Club session on it at some point. Also, the game just came out yesterday and I haven't been able to play it as much as I would like. Slash as much as I thought I was going to have played it at this point. That's done to two things. Uh, for one, I've just been playing a fuck ton of Spider-Man 2, which we're going to get to shortly. But also, as I mentioned earlier, I want to play through the whole thing in co-op and in single player. Like got one run of just co-op and then one run of just single player just to get a sense of how I feel about it. Um, my wife, she worked yesterday and today, so we just haven't been able to spend that much time with the game. Uh, we've 100% of the first two worlds. I'm, I'm guessing there's seven or eight worlds, maybe a ninth if you count like the special world or whatever. I don't know. I haven't looked it up. I don't, I don't need corrected <laughs> if that's not the case. Um, I was really nonplussed by the first world in a way I wasn't expecting. Uh, I, I know the first world or even the first couple worlds of Mario games, especially 2D Mario games are honestly kind of fucking boring. But considering, like, the hype level this has, like, the review scores were out of this world, uh, what people were just saying in general, and all the trailers hyping up like, the wonder and everything, um, I was surprised how much I didn't care for the first world. <laughs> um, in terms of the wonder flowers, uh, the only ones that I really found interesting in the first set of levels were, were the, the ones that make your enemies sing. Uh, the piranha plant level, and there was a spike level they were singing to. Those were very cute and good and genuinely unexpected. Uh, it reminded me of the moment in Paper Mario, the Origami King, when like the trees start singing, which is also very cute and good. But that said, World 2, immediately, the game feels so much more interesting and good. Uh, we got to get the bubble flower power-up, which I think from a gameplay perspective, is already one of my favorite Mario power-ups ever. It's so fucking cool. Uh, you can shoot a bubble that turns or it traps enemies in the bubble and turns them into a coin. Most enemies, I guess, smaller ones. But way more interesting is that you can blow a bubble and then run and then jump on top of it and then you, you pop off of it and then you can reach new heights. Uh, it's such a Mario idea. It's so cool. Like the, the level of mastery that you're going to be able to pull off with something like that is so fucking cool. Um, because the bubble doesn't like stop moving for you. You can't just like place the bubble and then, you know, s slowly carefully make your way onto it to jump off of it. No, you have to run after it and, and hop on and then, and, and, and pop off of it. I don't know why I just keep saying pop off right now. Um, yeah, that's super fucking good. Haven't gotten to the any drill power-up yet. I'm really looking forward to that. I think it looks really neat. A lot of elephant. The elephant's cute. I find it kind of not super interesting as a power-up, which is also maybe why, or part of the reason why World 1 didn't impress me much. It was very elephant-focused, and I don't know. 
Um, I just don't find it that interesting. Like it's it's way less interesting than the Tanuki suit or the cape or whatever. Even honestly, compared to like the propeller suit in New Super Mario Brothers Wii or even the the flying squirrel suit in New Super Mario Brothers U. I don't know. It's not doing much for me beyond its cuteness, but also the cuteness is really fucking good and it's silly and fun and the animations are incredible. So it's not that big of a deal as long as you keep giving me cool um, bubble and drill stuff. We did get to the special world, like the first level of the special world that you can get to when you're scaling the mountain in world two. Seth was saying that people really hyped up the, the, the difficulty of that level. And yeah, if you're getting there early on, it's the first five-star level, five-star difficulty level you get to. Yeah, it's definitely a, a step above everything that has come before it at that point in the game. But, you know, we beat it on our third try, and we're playing co-op. And by the way, the camera can... Oh, the camera is fucking horrible in co-op. Like, it doesn't zoom in or out at all. It just follows one person, whoever has, like, the crown symbol, which... I assume is based off of like some sort of invisibility or invisible score metric. Um, so like when you enter a new level, whoever performed best and got the crown in the previous level, that's who the camera is going to follow. I think we could have beaten that level on our first try. If the camera had been following me, um, it took us a few tries. We had a couple deaths, but it, I don't know. Even with the camera being completely fucked and my wife was like one set of rhythm blocks behind me the entire time she would, she was still able to keep up and it was fine. Uh, yeah, not a fan of the camera for, for the multiplayer in this. Um, you know, multiplayer and really hectic platformers like this is already, it can be pretty problematic. I think that's actually a cool thing about 3D World is like that Champions Road, that final level in 3D World, like the infamous hard level there that I also don't think was super crazy hard. I did that in co-op with my wife a couple of years ago when it came on Switch, and yeah, it was fine. Despite how hectic it gets, and you know, the ending is very fast-paced. You're uh, having to run across all these con- these uh, panels that make you constantly dash at full speed. We were fine. Uh, not as much the case here, despite the fact that it's you know a side scroller, and you'd think that uh, it would be easier to keep track of that shit. But nope, <laughs> not when the camera isn't cooperating at all. But yeah, the game's great so far. The animations are absolutely amazing. Uh, as someone that just played through half of New Super Mario Brothers U on stream a few days ago, it definitely feels better to play than that. Not like it's not like worlds apart, but there's definitely something different about the feel of it, even if it's subtle. Uh, the physics feel pretty similar to me, which I think the physics of all the New Super Mario Brothers games were already pretty close to the old side-scrolling Mario games anyway, despite uh, how much people want to complain about them in all ways. Um, I think the biggest difference that I can tell is that, yeah, you when you turn around, like if you're turning around when you're at full speed and you're just doing a complete 180, uh, I think it's much faster. Like you don't keep as much momentum and slide. Um, sorry, there's someone hammering or something above me that 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 is an alarmingly loud (laughs) thumping going on uh we got new neighbors like i don't know two weeks ago and a lot of drilling going on 
Not a big fan. They also live literally right next door. That I don't know. I'm up against that shared wall right now. They might even be able to hear me speaking. They probably don't speak English. <laughs> um, no, they definitely can't hear me speaking. I'd have to be yelling for that. But uh, a lot of drilling going on. Hopefully, we're going to get to a lot of drilling in Mario Wonder <laughs> later tonight or tomorrow. Definitely tomorrow if we do that game in art stream. But yeah, the game's great. I'm looking forward to playing more. Uh, it's just very good Mario stuff. Oh, I did want to talk about the the Yoshi stuff. How Yoshi and Nabbit, uh, that their kind of build is like the easy mode for the game or whatever. And people were complaining about that. I mean, I, I somewhat get it because it kind of has discouraged me from picking Yoshi, even though I really love light blue Yoshi and how he looks in this game. Um, I have played a few levels as light blue Yoshi, but any level that looks like it's going to be power-up focused, you can't you you don't get transformations or power-ups as Yoshi. You get a flutter jump, you can eat things, other players can ride on top of you, and you can't be killed by like enemies. I forget. Obviously, pits can sorry, hiccup. Uh, obviously, pits can kill you. I don't know if spikes or lava. Honestly, I don't think we've run into spikes or lava yet. Uh, but yeah, it, it's billed as like the easy mode for the game, and people are having the audacity to complain about that. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> if you if Yoshi is your favorite character, then just play as Yoshi. It's not that big of a fucking deal. Or like revisit levels if you want to experience the power ups and stuff. Play as Yoshi and then just change characters and experience it with the power ups. That's kind of what I'm doing. It's kind of nice <laughs> being able to experience the game in multiple ways. It's almost like it gives you more replayability weird um oh and i guess before we move on the badge system i like it so far um i'm hoping to see more interesting stuff uh we got our first expert badge last night it makes you constantly jump but you jump higher than normal but your your character is constantly jumping when it hits the ground um I think the idea of like badges that make the game harder is cool, but I wish there was like a more tangible <laughs> benefit to it. Like it gives you more coins or more purple coins or something for beating levels that way. Maybe it does. I didn't see it, but I didn't see anything. I didn't see the game say anything about, Hey, expert badges do this. Uh, it just seems to be like, Hey, do you want to goof around and make the game a little bit harder? Here you go. But you know, still neat that it's in there. But yeah, Mario Wonder, we're going to have more to say about it, I imagine, on next week's podcast. And obviously when we do our meetup. Uh, let's talk, again, probably briefly, I don't want to get too into it if we're going to end up doing a games club on it. But let's talk about some Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2 is the direct follow-up to 2018's uh, Spider-Man on PlayStation 4 and 2020's. Spider-Man Miles Morales. That's important because this game really does, at least from what I've played, it does a really good job of balancing the Peter Parker and Miles Morales stuff, which was something that I was kind of worried about. Um, I really loved the story in both of these games. And I don't, or in both of those games, uh, I don't say that very often about video game stories, especially like AAA, big budget, Western bullshit. Um, Truly, I think the first Spider-Man game is my favorite, like, Peter Parker story ever. I think. I 
I'm no like Spider-Man like expert or anything. I haven't read every single comic or whatever, but sp- certainly in like the movie and film and game space, yeah, it's no question that Spider-Man One was the best Peter Parker uh, oriented story at that point. Um, hell, I th- yeah, that came out the same year as Into the Spider-Verse. I think honestly, if it wasn't for Into the Spider-Verse, like that would have been um, the best Spider-Man related thing. Like period. I mean, I think there was a couple of months between the game and Into the Spider-Verse. Um, so for a couple of months there, yeah, uh, the PS4 Spider-Man game was the best Spider-Man media ever, uh, at least to me. Uh, Miles Morales, um, the game, honestly, I thought already was a pretty big improvement over the first game. They cut away a lot of the fat. Obviously, I think a lot of that was just done because they wanted it to be a ps5 launch game but also i don't know it it uh it just felt way more thought out like there weren't a billion fucking useless side quests or whatever um what side quests were there were meaningful and had like good story attached to them and uh they made some changes to the combat system like they gave miles his like electric powers and his invisibility stuff um, they still had some of the gadgets going on from the first game, which maybe my biggest complaint with the first Spider-Man and to a lesser extent, Miles Morales is just the combat system just isn't that good. Um, you know, it's obviously the melee itself is heavily aping from the Batman Arkham games, which are great. Um, God, the thumping and just keeps continuing. Uh, Maybe they maybe they disagree with me. I don't know. Uh, Spider-Man's combat is weak. They thump back. I don't know. Um, I didn't like that the first game really played a lot like a Ratchet and Clank game where it's like, yeah, you're doing melee, but really the main focus was kind of always on deploying your gadgets. And like... It even had the Ratchet and Clank uh, weapon wheel thing where you're, you're holding down a button to select a weapon and then time slows down while you're selecting and then you come out of that, you close the window and then you're popping your thing and then rinse and repeat. Um, that's all gone in Spider-Man 2. There's barely any gadgets, period. And what gadgets there are, you're not, you're not selecting them from like a weapon wheel, you're not slowing down time. It is all, you're just you are in the moment being Spider-Man and it is such a fucking breath of fresh air on that front alone. Um, the combat still is like nothing to really write home about, at least not yet. I haven't gotten, you know, I know the symbiote is in this game and stuff and I'm pretty early on in the story and I know all this stuff keeps unlocking as you go, at least based on the other games. Um, the combat just feels so much fucking better, man. Like I actually don't mind getting into combat encounters, like on my way to the next side objective or main objective going on. Um, the game looks incredible. I'm playing on performance mode. I, <laughs> the game tries to default you to fidelity mode. So 30 frames, but 4k, blah, blah, blah. I turned on performance before even starting the game <laughs> from the main menu. It looks so fucking good. I, it's hard for me to imagine that the fidelity mode would look significantly better. I tried looking at like the fidelity modes and um, 
Ratchet and Clank and uh, Final Fantasy VII remake, the PS5 version of that. And yeah, I could see a little bit of a difference, but it did not make up for the lack of 60 frames per second. And again, with how much better the combat feels in this, like I actually want the combat to feel as good as possible. It's not something I'm willing to sacrifice in this case. Um, yeah, the, the game is fucking good, man. Uh, one of the best like improved sequels I've ever played. It's really good. It's the first first party PlayStation game I have been this impressed with. I would maybe go so far as to say Bloodborne. Um, it is really fucking good. Like the, uh, the introduction alone, and I'm not going to get into spoilers. Um, the intro alone is just so much bigger and grandiose and just well thought out and better written than like, basically the entirety of the first Spider-Man game. Uh, it's just so good, man. They give you your, um, your, your web wings, like the, the webs under your armpits that lets you glide. Uh, I'll be honest. I, I thought that was going to be dumb. I'm like, well, it's a Spider-Man game. Why do I want to fly everywhere? For one, you can't fly anywhere. Even if you wanted to, uh, you can basically fly in certain areas where there's wind currents, but like, no, it feels really good to like swap between like, okay, one second I'm, I'm web swinging. Then the next I'm, I'm gliding. And then the next I'm diving down and I'm catching myself and then I'm zip lining and then back to gliding. It, it feels good. It feels good having that extra like option and step. Uh, it just makes it way more engaging and like visually it looks really good and satisfying. Uh, I imagine beyond maybe some specific moments where you have to do use your web wings. It seems pretty optional to me. Even times when the game has said like, Hey, do this. Uh, sometimes I've just missed that prompt <laughs> and didn't do that. And it was fine. Uh, but yeah, the, the web wings are super fucking fun. The combat's such a big improvement. The writing is, I was going to say just as good as ever. It's better. Uh, honestly, it's been fucking fantastic so far. It's been, Again, this, I don't consider the spoilers. This is all like the first hour. Like Harry Osborn is immediately back. He's immediately very, um, I don't know, uh, charming, I guess is, is the right word. Peter's dealing with the end of the first game. Again, won't get into what happened there if you didn't play it, but there are big ramifications that are immediately being dove into. Mary Jane seems like she's a bigger uh, part of the game. It's really cool seeing the interplay between uh, Peter and Miles, you didn't get that much of it in either of the first game or Miles Morales. Uh, man, I don't know. It's a special, special game. I I was not looking forward to this at all. I almost didn't even bother pre-ordering it. I was like, well, Mario Wonder, I don't, if other people aren't playing it, am I going to be that excited? Uh, yes, I am that excited. <laughs> uh, I sometimes forget that it's nice to have like a big budget triple A guided experience that can like kind of just turn my brain off and just like punch dudes and swing around the city. Um, I never thought either the first game or miles Morales like achieved anything beyond like, this is like one of the best eight out of 10 games you've ever played kind of thing. And I, I don't mean that as an insult that eight out of 10 is a really fucking good game, but oftentimes eight out of 10 isn't good enough to make it onto like my favorite games of the year lists. And yeah, neither of those previous two games did. Obviously, I'm early. Obviously, we still got some time before the end of the year. 
As things stand right now, yeah, Spider-Man 2 is one of my favorite things I've played this year, and that's saying a fucking lot. Uh, man, what a cool fucking game. I Even right now, I, like, I'm itching to get back to it. Like, fuck, we got to finish recording and editing this podcast <laughs> so we can get back to Spider-Man 2. Um, I'll probably play some Mario Wonder on my solo file instead honestly i should i should probably cool it on spider-man 2 also if we end up doing a games club session on it i don't want to beat it in like a week and then not remember anything but man it's been real hard to tear myself away from that uh really fucking cool game i didn't even get into like how uh the, the fast travel is literally just instant the costumes man they as a spider-man dork they they did it they fucking did it they got uh into the Spider-Verse, um, Spider-Man Noir, Nicolas Cage's character. They got an outfit for Peter that looks like that in here. Similar to Miles's Into the Spider-Verse costume in Miles Morales. Uh, it has, like, lower frame of animation compared to look more filmic compared to the rest of the world. Really fucking cool. You can also turn that on for any costume you're wearing, apparently. Um, I have personally been rocking the Superior Spider-Man outfit for Peter, and then I forget what it's called, but it's like a Daft Punk looking outfit for Miles, which I think was also in the Miles Morales game. Oh, man. Honestly, fuck Mario Wonder. I'm going to play Spider-Man 2 once this podcast is uploaded. But yeah, I think, think that's it for the games. Uh, it looks like we're already over 45 minutes, which I was not intending this podcast to be that long for a variety of reasons. Again, mostly just because I want to get back to gaming. Let's take a break and then get into the news. I'm going to eat something, maybe. Uh, hopefully, this fucking banging on the ceiling stops by then. <laughs> if not, there might be another news story. Moida in Hamburg. I don't know why Hamburg came out that way. Sorry, everyone. All right, let's do a break. We'll get into it. <laughs> toast with uh, some butter cheese on it. It's pretty good. Trying out a new brand of cheese this week. It was, pre- it was pretty damn good, honestly. <laughs> I'm I'm shocked. Uh, yeah, we should, we should keep getting that cheese. We also bought some white cheddar slices of that same brand. It must have been on sale last week. I don't remember. Uh, great cheese. All right, let's get into it. News, baby. Uh, 
Uh, oh God, this first thing I've written down. Um, the, our first two things actually happened while I was recording last week's podcast. I didn't know if I was going to get into this. We should just get into it because it's insane. Uh, this very first one is that Microsoft's acquisition of Activision has finally been finalized, I guess. Uh, this obviously isn't news. This whole thing has been going on for well over a year. Or is it even two years? I think it's only been a year. I think that was 2022. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, it's been going on for a very long time. And they got the final, whatever they were, was it the UK? Some regulated, regulatory board in the UK is was the last holdup, I guess. And that finally went through and then we got it. It's here. Microsoft owns Activision. Activision Blizzard King now. Um, what makes this interesting, <laughs> and interesting is maybe too positive of a word. In fact, I know it's too positive of a word. The gag factor <laughs> of this is that they decided to announce this with like a marketing trailer, uh, like a, a trailer announcing that you're buying a $40 billion company or whatever the fuck the number was. I don't remember. Um, I was thinking about doing a live rewatch of this and then just recording my reactions to it. Um, I don't think snuff films are allowed in podcast form. I don't think I can projectile vomit and just put that out there. If I could, or if we could, I'm sure someone would have done it. Um, I did... I watched the trailer last week. Like I think it was literally the first thing I did after I stopped recording the podcast. Um, and then I, I really sat on that for the last week and wept for humanity. And then I watched it right before starting <laughs> recording this podcast. So I could just take a couple notes. Uh, it was even worse than I remember <laughs> in, in the, from a week ago, I guess. Uh, it opens up with, so many stories to tell, so many characters to meet, so many worlds to explore. It's a good day to play. And then it goes on with that wankery for quite a while. Uh, eventually characters from like Activision Blizzard games start talking and they use lines that are talking about like home and we'll go together. Um, there's some Warcraft orcs talking to each other. So, this is home now? And then the other orc responds, Home. Family. Jesus fucking Christ. It opened with a shot of, like, Master Chief looking into space or whatever Master Chief is looking at. Does he look at Halo? Does he look at the Halo? I played the first three Halo games. I don't fucking know. Also, this is clearly from like five or whatever. Infinite, probably. I don't know. When was, Who cares about Master Chief anymore? Even if you like Halo, I don't think people care about like Master Chief anymore. And I don't really think people care about Halo anymore. But I also, I specifically don't think people care about Master Chief. Again, I know there's people that do. Uh, but... In terms of the 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 macro scale, uh, like 
I don't think Master Chief... In fact, I know Master Chief is not nearly as popular as he was 15, 20 years ago, and that's fine, but it's also very funny. It's kind of emblematic of, like, Xbox's whole problem is that they just, they've never done any kind of, like, refresh. I I think Halo Infinite was, was close. You know, it, I know it was open world and whatever, but it the bones of the game still look exactly the fucking same. Gears of War is the exact same fucking same. I, I, you look at, we talked about this with Final Fantasy recently of how like Final Fantasy feels like the constant need to reinvent themselves and how that is maybe kind of coming back to bite them now with 16 at least. And then Seven Rebirth feels like the most hyped Final Fantasy game in decades and is a direct sequel that looks like it plays pretty similarly to, to Seven Remake, you know? Uh, as it should, um, Xbox has the opposite problem. It just feels like they've never really innovated. They just keep buying shit. Like, you know, they didn't originally own the Gears of War franchise. That was an epic thing. I don't know what the deal was. Um, but at, at Epic made, or was it Epic Unreal? I don't fucking know. Cliff, Bl- Cliff Blazinski. Uh, made Gears of War, and for somehow or another, it was exclusive to Xbox. And I don't remember when Xbox bought the rights to Gears of War or bought the IP. It was either after one or after two, but they've owned the IP for a while. And it it just feels like the same fucking shit. Like, it's shit everyone was, like, freaking out about 20 years ago or 15 years ago, but has never taken any significant steps to evolve and even when they've tried, it's very cookie-cutter evolutions. Like, okay, what what can we do with Halo? Uh, make it open world and give him a grappling hook. Now, again, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, I like grappling. And No, let me walk that back. I fucking love grappling hooks. I've just talked for 15 minutes or however long about a game that's basically just a dude swinging around on grappling hooks. Um, That's not inherently a problem, but it just feels like there was nothing else. Like, what was the hook beyond open world? This isn't 2003 anymore. Like, you need something else. You can't just say, well, we're open world now. Again, you have Zelda Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom probably could have got away with just being a direct sequel to Breath of the Wild in all ways. They probably could have even just used the same, the Sheikah Slate powers again. They didn't. Uh, You know, Nintendo's pretty good at reinventing themselves, sometimes more successful than others, of course, but Breath of the Wild didn't just say, we're going to do open world Zelda. Like, it is its own thing. It takes elements from all kinds of open world inspirations and kind of mixes mixes them and blends them and becomes its own thing. Again, it's partially marketing, but Nintendo refers to Breath of the Wild, and I assume Tears of the Kingdom is open-air games. And again, it's marketing bullshit, but they're not wrong. (laughs) Like, I don't quite qualify those two Zelda games as open world. They are kind of their own thing in the same way Pikmin is um, not quite an RTS, but I don't really know what you'd call it. It's some kind of strategy management cutesy collect-a-thon thing. I don't know. Um, You know, even PlayStation, they're not doing a great job of it right now, but 
PlayStation clearly sees the need of like, oh yeah, we should diversify. We talked about a lot the last week or two. Jim Ryan investing in all these um, live model ser- ser- games as a service studios and stuff. I don't think that's going to pay off for them as much as they think it will or hope it will. Um, but they at least see the changing landscape. And I know Xbox sees the changing landscape to a certain degree. I know Phil Spencer does. Like Phil Spencer, for whatever other things you want to say about him, I don't think he's a dumb dude, and I think he genuinely does like video games in a way that like Jim Ryan, I can tell, doesn't give a fuck about. Um, but they've just they can they've successfully like rebranded themselves from like a hardware perspective and like what we offer perspective with Game Pass. Um, but their games are all still the fucking same, man. <laughs> uh, I don't even remember how we got on this. Oh yeah, Master Chief in this Activision trailer. God, the fact that I'm even referring to it as a trailer is gross as hell. Um, uh, I can't help but feel <laughs> like investing this much money into Activision. Again, I understand why, um, but Activision's basically just been stuck in a Call of Duty pit for fucking 10 years or more now. Again, they've tried to diversify a few times. They were in a partnership with Bungie and doing Destiny together, and then Bungie bought their way out of that after it sounds like their relationship was not good at all. What a shock. Uh, you know, Activision published Sekiro, the FromSoft, like, not Souls-like, but still pretty Souls-y, like, stealth action samurai Ronin, not Ronin, Shinobi thing. Uh, really good game. Activision also put out the Crash Bandicoot remakes, Crash Bandicoot 4, the Spyro remakes, and the Tony Hawk 1 and 2 remakes. These were all varying degrees of, like, good to great. I'd even go so far as say good to amazing with the Tony Hawk remakes. And I don't know if, if none of those sold as well as they were expecting. I think the Crash Bandicoot remakes probably sold more than they were expecting. I'm guessing Spyro and Crash and maybe even Tony Hawk were sales disappointments for them. I know that they all still sold millions or whatever, but based on what we've seen with like Clueless game executive uh, logic, Selling $5 million is not enough for most of these companies at this point. Or Again, I don't know the sales numbers off the top of my head. I'm not going to look. But I know that the Crash remakes like did gangbusters in a way that Crash 4 did not, for instance. And I assume the Tony Hawk remakes did not sell like insanely well uh, based on the fact that Vicarious Visions was rebranded as a Blizzard studio. And like I think, were they the ones that did that Diablo 2 remaster or something? And they've probably been, like, support for Diablo 4 or something, which also fucking sucks ass. Um, I don't know what the future of Xbox is. I also don't know what the future of Activision stuff is. If I were to hazard a guess, we will see a couple attempts at, like, revivals again. I don't know what that looks like. Um, I have a hunch that... I've, I've seen other people say, hey, you know, if... Tony Hawk 3 and 4 get remade. This was all worth it. Like, first of all, no. <laughs> that consolidation on the scale is not worth that. <laughs> Again, I I would love to play remakes of Tony Hawk 3 and 4. Uh, 
but it shouldn't it shouldn't have had to happen this way if it even does happen which again i i have high doubts uh that it will happen um phil spencer at one point this week or this past week was saying like yeah we're any studio that wants to do whatever they want if they want to work on a crash they can work on a crash whatever you know saying that yeah if, if developers that we own want to do things they just need to tell us that the, that they want to do those things. And that's cool. Uh, that That's a good message to have. But that's also kind of what leads me to believe that you will not see, like, Crash Bandicoot stuff. <laughs> um, I imagine the only studio that Activision owns or that micro- Microsoft now owns that would want to work on a Crash Bandicoot game is Toys for Bob. And they've been working on Crash stuff for a while and they would probably want to do other stuff. I've also seen some wild theories about like, oh yeah, maybe Toys for Bob or some other studio, maybe they want to do a Banjo-Kazooie game. Like, first of all, motherfucker, just let this go. Um, Banjo-Kazooie is a pretty good N64 platformer. I don't think, in fact, I know this to be the case, it is not nearly as influential as a lot of people seem to want to make it out to be. Rare games rarely are that influential, as good as they could be. Um, how many games can you think of where you cite Rare as like, oh yeah, Rare is a huge source of inspiration. I would say probably just Goldeneye, right? That that was like the one time. Obviously, Perfect Dark was like a direct follow-up to that, but just in terms of like initial games. You know, Donkey Kong Country, uh, from a visual standpoint, yeah, it was a big deal at the time. But their their level design and I mean for one I think Donkey Kong Country One is kind of a bad video game anyway, uh, but you never hear people talking about it, like oh yeah, like the stage design and like the gameplay of Donkey Kong Country. No, it's just the visuals and the music, which those are good and important, obviously. But I can't. Besides Goldeneye, I can't think of a single rare game where I was like, "Oh yeah, this like defined people's expectations going forward about something." And I can guarantee you, Banjo Kazooie did not, especially from a game design perspective. Even if you love Banjo Kazooie, and again, I played through Banjo Kazooie for the first time on the Switch. What was that? Two years ago. I quite liked it. Uh, it was nothing amazing, but I I quite liked it for what it was. Um. I don't think that the all these random studios that Activision owns, I don't think that one of them is going to be like, oh, yeah, now we can finally make that dream Banjo-Kazooie game we've been sitting on for decades, you know? I, just chill out, man. Uh, what Activision, or again, what Microsoft should probably do is let independent studios license their stuff, kind of like Sega does. Like, that's what brought us Sonic Mania and Streets of Rage 4, and Sonic Mania is the best Sonic game, and Streets of Rage 4 is the best beat-em-up of all time, and also just, like, one of the best action games of all time. Uh, I'm sure there's there's been plenty of other stuff. I know there was that, what, was that Alex Kid? There was, like, an Alex Kid remake or something. I mean, who cares about Alex Kid? But my point still stands. Um, I know there is, like, some... Uh, level of Microsoft having done that before, right? With like Killer Instinct and um, Battle Toads. Um. So yeah, hopefully that's what I would want to see. Like, let independent developers make a Banjo Kazooie. I mean, obviously that is probably been on the cards for a while. 
or yeah, let independent developers make a Crash Bandicoot thing. Let independent developers make a new Geometry Wars or whatever. Um, but yeah, man, it this just all sucks. We got on a real long tangent. I wasn't expecting to talk this long <laughs> about just this anyway. Uh, have a couple more things from this trailer. Uh, it ends with the text, or rather, no, it builds up to the ending with the text, old friends, new adventures for all of us. It's a good day to play. They're really proud of themselves for that. It's a good day to play line. <laughs> and then it ends with like the Xbox logo. And then beneath it is a plus symbol with uh, Activision Blizzard King. And then another plus symbol. And then you, <sighs> I, I want to die. Yeah, it's all bad. Uh, I I just kind of wanted to cover it just to talk about my thoughts uh, in general. I just don't really think um, we're going to see Tony Hawk stuff going forward. Again, if I'm wrong, that's fantastic. Either remake 3 and 4 or do a new one. Let Vic Rebrand Vicarious Visions again. I don't know what they're called now. Blizzard something or other. Um, bring them back. <laughs> We got one more job for them. One final job and then they can rest. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, honestly. Uh, yeah, it's all bad. Ad, bad Activision's a horrible company. I guess to end this with, uh, Bobby Kotick is staying on through at least the end of 2023, which is quickly approaching. I don't think there's any confirmation that he is for sure leaving at the end of 2023, but I, that was like the whole point of this. Um, if you don't remember, which again, it's been a long time. This all came about because there was all ton, a whole ton of, uh, like sexual abuse and all kinds of various abuse allegations, uh, at like multiple high level people at Activision, including Bobby Kotick, who among many other stories, I believe, called his assistant to tell her he was going to murder her <laughs> or something. Um, I shouldn't be laughing at that, but that's the current state of corporate America. Uh, this dude is in charge of this company and he kind of nose dove it into the ground and then he's going to get a huge billion dollar payout to leave and go fuck off for the rest of humanity. Whatever. <laughs> Um, let's talk about some fun things for a little bit. We're going to roll back into some bad stuff too. Um, also announced during the recording of last week's podcast, the Splatoon 3 Splatoween Splatfest, which is fun. Uh, I haven't played Splatoon 3 much at all. Me and my wife are pretty consistently, or lately, I haven't played much lately. I've put over like 400 hours into this game. Uh, haven't played much lately. The new season didn't really have anything that was drawing us in. Uh, I think the last time I played Splatoon 3 was like hours of Salmon Run with Seth while he was talking to me uh, or while we were talking to each other for a fair few hours, early morning hours for me and late night hours for him like a month or two ago. Um, this is the first Splatfest I've been like, yeah, 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 I want to I wanna do this in a while. Uh, the Splatfest theme is... 
what would make a better friend, a zombie, skeleton, or ghost? Uh, Shiver is supporting zombie. Fry is supporting skeleton. And Big Man, the people's champ, is supporting ghost. Uh, ghost is the obvious answer there. Why the fuck would you want a zombie as a best friend or whatever? There's plenty of benefits to being a ghost, having a ghost friend or a ghost dad, a ghost big man. Um, but because Shiver is supporting zombie, I'm sure zombie will win. Uh, that's kind of been my biggest issue, <laughs> honestly, with Splatoon 3. I think it's definitely the best uh, of the three Splatoon games, but them splitting the Splatfest into three instead of two, I understand in theory why they did it, and I... On paper, it is a really good idea, but in practice, all that's happened is that um, Shiver has won like every single one of these things. It's literally, I don't know how many we've done, but i it's like 80% Shiver victories, even dumb ones. Uh, Big Man's won like twice at Fry. Might I think Fry won once, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, it just sucks. It's just boring to... Um, Shiver, they they, they uh, released uh, images of them in their Halloween costumes. Uh, I thought they would have them dressed up as the team they're supporting, and Big Man is dressed up like a ghost. Um, but Shiver seemingly is in, like, a vampire outfit or a vampire look, and it does look cool. Uh, but because I always underestimate how horny people can be, uh, I have seen a lot of fan art of, of Shiver in her vampire outfit. And I would describe these images as salacious at best. Um, it It's bad. <laughs> I mean, whatever. I'm not, if you really want to get your rocks off to Shiver dressed like a vampire, who am I? Go for it, man. Um, for me, it mostly just sucks because I, from a logical point of view, there is no reason to have a zombie as a best friend. And also, Big Man in the ghost costume is very cute. Speaking of costumes, I think today they put up, uh, you can download for free, it's just an update, but you can get um, Halloween costumes for your Splatoon character to wear while you're doing the Splatfest. Well, I assume they're permanent. Yeah, it would be very dumb if they weren't permanent. Um, it's like what a, a plague doctor mask, which is definitely my favorite. There's like a mummy, there's like a pirate captain, and there's like a Cthulhu Grim Reaper thing. They're all pretty neat and they're all free. Uh, I actually need to get on and get those while I'm thinking about it. Maybe if we can finish this podcast, uh, before my goldfish memory forgets, but yeah, that was all from Splatoon 3. It's just a cute, fun thing. And it'll give me a reason to play Splatoon with my wife. I think that's going on next weekend. Oh, I mean, yeah, Halloween's in like a little over a week, right? So, yeah, it'll be next, what, Saturday, Sunday? It'll be fun. I haven't played much Splatoon in a couple months, so that'll be good. Next, uh, Coral Island has set their release date for 1.0, coming out of early access on PC and also the PlayStation and Xbox release. It is November 14th. Um, not much to say. This game is just a really fucking good-looking Stardew Valley-like. Um, graphically, it looks really fucking good. I love the more, like, tropical island setting it has going on. Um, 
the character art is all very good. People, again, we're we're being re- really we're being really horny today. Sorry, I'm just I got horny on the brain. I just I turn into that wolf whistling about pie. Um, oh God, that sounds horrible. Uh, it just the game looks really good. Um, my wife is very excited for it. She's a big Stardew Valley dork, and this is really kind of the only like direct Stardew Valley. I don't want to say clone, but like, uh, we'll just call it clone in this case. And I don't mean it in a bad way, but whatever. Uh, this is the first one that really feels like a direct Stardew Valley clone, but also has like some real like high quality and like thought put into it as well as their own ideas. There's like underwater stuff going on and mermaids and whatever. Uh, it just looks really good. I'm excited. I think the switch release is early next year or something. My wife is probably just going to snag it on the PlayStation uh, just because, you know, 3D polygonal indie games, you never know how those are going to go on Switch. I have been surprised lately over a lot of these running on Switch, but also my wife is gonna, isn't going going to want to wait. She just wants to play Coral Island. Uh, so, yeah, cool. Cool beans. Another fun thing before we get to our last dumb thing. <laughs> Uh, Risk of Rain Returns has a stream set for next Wednesday, the 25th. Uh, The tweet said that they will reveal a new character, the game's release date and price, and, quote, special surprises, uh, looking eye emoji, unquote. Uh, That's going to be over at the Twitch channel of the devs, which is Hoppo Games. That's H-O-P-O-O. And their both Twitch and Twitter handle... Seemingly is at Hoppo Games. That's again H O P O O G A M E S. Um, I fucking love Risk of Rain. Colin and I played a fuck ton of Risk of Rain on its original Steam release, which like didn't even have like online functionality built in. You had to like do shit with your router and like set up port forwarding bullshit. Uh, and we still played a bunch of Risk of Rain like that. And then it came out on, like, console and Vita and stuff. We played a bunch, not as much as I would have wanted to, just different times of our lives. So, yeah, we still played a little bit of Risk of Rain on Vita there. I think it's out on Switch now, the original, I mean. And I think I own it, actually. And then Risk of Rain 2 is, like, one of my favorite co-op things of all time. I have sunk hundreds and hundreds of hours into that across PC, PlayStation 4, and Switch. The Switch version runs like shit, but uh, still played a fuck ton of it with my wife. Uh, we actually mostly played on PC, and we unlocked most of the things, including all the crazy like character-specific skins and new abilities that you had to do really, really, really specific things to unlock. Uh, it's just it's one of my favorite co-op experiences of all time. Two specifically, um, so one is a two D shooter roguelite thing and then uh risk of rain 2 was a 3d sequel uh again i find risk of rain 2 is more interesting nowadays but i'm curious this is for those that don't know returns is a remake of the first one with like a ton of new stuff seemingly the graphics are way way improved and um yeah i'm really looking forward to this i also i don't think the risk of rain games are ever super expensive so i'm kind of expecting this come in at 15 to 20 uh so that'll be cool um, I highly encourage anyone that hasn't played Risk of Rain 
uh, that's listening to this, uh, check it out. Specifically, check this remake out because I'm guessing it'll be out pretty soon by the sounds of this. I mean, they say it is coming out this year still and this year's approaching the end. So, yeah, if you're looking for like a co-op, it's also it's not co-op exclusive. Um, I highly recommend playing it in co-op, but it's it's pretty good on its own. I I played quite a lot of Risk of Rain to uh, solo on Switch at work <laughs> when I worked at a uh, well one of my office jobs. Uh, but yeah, I'm very excited for that. That's probably the last game coming this year that I'm like really really hyped for, at least at the moment. I guess we'll see if there's any surprises or whatever. Um, I know there's WarioWare. I'm probably gonna pass on WarioWare for right now, just for a variety of for a variety of reasons. Um, still gonna check it out at some point. Looks great. Blah blah blah. But yeah, Risk of Rain Returns is probably the thing I'm most looking forward to for the rest of the year. Uh, let me take a sip of water before we get to our last thing here. So, yeah, I saw this story breaking last night. I, I wouldn't even say breaking, but I saw it posted last night. Didn't know if I really wanted to get into it. Uh, it's basically that Doug Bowser is uh, saying, the Doug Bowser being the president of Nintendo of America, is saying that the reason there's no unions at Nintendo is because we're just such a good company <laughs> that treats our employees well. Um, I mean, I have heard that they treat their employees pretty good compared to their contractors, but they also don't treat their employees too well either, uh, at least in the past. Uh, let me pull up this article real quick. Uh, I'll just read the entire thing, I guess. It is gamesindustry.biz, uh, and the headline is Bowser. Nintendo doesn't have unions due to employee satisfaction. Nintendo of America president affirms the right of, for workers to form a union and say, we'll respect that. President of Nintendo of America, Doug Bowser, said that the firm has no unions due to job satisfaction and engagement. His comments came from an interview with Inverse, where the executive was asked about unionization growing in the games industry. Bowser said, You only have to look at our retention numbers, which are very, very high within the industry, and our obviously low turnover rate as a result. Our focus has always been on creating a culture that's inclusive, has a work-life balance, and is focused on our singular mission of bringing smiles to faces. He added, everyone has the right to form a union and certainly in the future, wherever it takes us, we'll respect that. Bowser's comments seemingly counter the experiences of contractors who work at the Mario Maker, but are technically employed by an outside company. In 2022, an expose from Kotaku alleged, alleged that the firm maintained cyclical contract work for low wages, expected overtime and lack of benefits. A month later, IGN also released a report in which Nintendo contractors criticized the company's culture and their treatment. Among the allegations, contracted staffers say they were doing full-time employees' work. That same year, Nintendo of America received a labor complaint in April, and the person at the center of the accusation settled with Nintendo in October. However, the company still has a second formal NLRB complaint filed in August of 2022. Um... Yeah, it wasn't that long ago <laughs> where the story was breaking that yeah, contract workers at Nintendo were basically being fucked, uh, which, hey, it, it does happen everywhere, but that's also not an excuse, uh, especially at a company that whose mission statement is to bring smiles to people's faces, <laughs> as quoted in that article by Doug Bowser. Um, I pulled up a Reset Era thread covering... 
the news of, of that happening from September 29th of last year. Um, I guess, may I just read this? This is this dude's summary on it. Uh, Mackenzie Clifton, the Nintendo worker who filed a labor complaint earlier this year against the gaming giant, is stepping forward by name for the first time in an interview with Axios. Why it matters. The veteran game... The veteran game tester alleges Nintendo and contracting firm Aston Carter had them fired in February because they asked Nintendo management a question about unions. The complaint alleged that the employers had interfered with Clifton's federally protected rights to discuss unionization without fear of retaliation. Details Clifton traces their firing in an on or firing to an online company meeting for hundreds of Nintendo testers in January. During a Q&A portion with Nintendo of America president Doug Bowser, Clifton asked, what does NOA think about the unionization trend in QA in the games industry as of late? They told Axios. The incident, without, specific, without specifics or names, was first reported by gaming website Kotaku. Clifton's question wasn't addressed in the meeting, but later that day, Clifton says a supervisor from Aston Carter called them, saying it was a, quote, downer question, end quote, and advising them to direct such inquiries to the contracting firm, not Nintendo. Clifton was, quote, baffled and kind of angry, end quote. Less than a month later, Clifton was fired. Nintendo has denied that unions had anything to do with Clifton's dismissal, instead saying the testers let go for publicly disclosing confidential information. Clifton tells Axios that they had pressed supervisors for proof of violation and were shown a tweet they posted on February 16th, which stated, Quote, in today's build, someone somewhere must have deleted every other texture in the game because everything is now red. Just like pure red. It's very silly, end quote. Clifton says that is misdirection, noting the tweet is vague. It, it does not clearly identify what Clifton was working on. Nintendo and Aston Carter did not reply to requests for comment from Clifton's account. Or about Clifton's account, the NLRB declined to comment on the status of the complaint. So... I don't even fully know <laughs> where to start with this. And again, I'm no expert on any of this. That said, if you truly believe Doug Bowser is in support of unionization at his company or at the company that he runs, I have a bridge to sell you, <laughs> I guess. Um, look, I know we all like Nintendo in this discord. Probably everyone listening to this all Two of you, we all love Nintendo, right? Um, for the games that they put out. And that's fine. Like, love Nintendo for the products they're putting out and then and the, the art that they are putting out. Or rather, don't love Nintendo the company, but love those products and the art, I guess is what I mean to say. Um, Nintendo the company does not give a fuck about you. Maybe a little more than they do their own employees. And it's gross. You know, I've seen defenses of this shit over the years usually what it always comes down to is well this happens everywhere like okay great <laughs> uh for one it sounds like it's pretty bad specifically at nintendo uh but also it's not okay that it's happening everywhere anyway um why can we praise a nintendo for doing things their own way and so differently and so innovatively and whatever when it comes to the products they make that we like, but when it comes to treating their employees with any kind of dignity or contractors with any kind of dignity, uh, well, everyone's doing it. And again, uh, it's not just the contractors. 
that were treated horribly. Um, I don't think many people remember this. I might be the only person that like really vividly remembers this back around, I don't know, 2015, 2016 or so. Uh, there was an employee there named Allie or Allison Rapp. Um, I don't know what she did to incite the anger of like the Gamergate crowd. Uh, she was harassed online and it got to the point where, again, this is right after Gamergate happened or shortly after Gamergate happened. So it was the same tactics. Uh, these people were calling Nintendo and whatever, whatever, whatever. They got her fired. Uh, Nintendo did not stand by their employee because, well, this is a controversy. We had to get rid of her. Um, again, I don't know specifically. I don't remember specifically what was going on. I do remember specifically one of the things they were mad at her about is uh, censorship in, uh, what was that? Shin Megami Tensei uh, Fire Emblem crossover. Uh, I don't remember what it was called, but that there was extensive censorship in that game and in, maybe it was even Xenoblade X. You know what? I think it might've been Xenoblade X where like there was an underage character that was highly, highly sexualized in the Japanese release. And then uh, they gave her more clothes <laughs> in the localization or something. And they, they put the blame for that on this lady, Ali Rapp. Um, she was, she worked in marketing. <laughs> she didn't, uh, she didn't have anything to do with any kind of decision-making like that. And then, um, they also, so they're trying to claim that she was, uh, like ruining the sexy girls in the games or whatever the fuck was going on. But then their tactic became, she had written like a thesis, not, I forget what it's called. I didn't go to college, y'all. Uh, like your final paper that you write. And oftentimes it is a devil's advocate paper. And she wrote a paper about how, like how underage uh, girls, I guess probably boys too, can be portrayed in some Japanese media is, which we view as very gross and is gross, can be helpful in terms of like, if there's a pedophile, sorry, this this topic is very heavy, but I've been, I've been mad about this for years. Uh, the paper was about, yeah, if there's, um, like if this content exists and keeps pedophiles from harming actual kids, then it's worth it or whatever, which again, she wrote that paper. She doesn't even necessarily agree with it. I don't even know. I don't know what my thoughts on a matter like that are, uh, this shit is still gross, but sure. Yeah, it is better for a fictional character. Ugh, these people and their drilling. I, I've had to work around this. Hold on. I'm going to stop the podcast for a second. This is insane. Y'all don't know how many times I've had to start and stop, <laughs> like, the beginning of this Doug Bowser thing. We're we're ahead now, and I'm not going that far back uh, anymore. Um, yeah, so this Alley Rap thing... Uh, it's a devil's advocate thing, but anyway, yeah, I, I see, I see the argument. They were like sending that to Nintendo to be like, look, you hired a pedophile. You hired someone defending pedophilia. So like for one, which is she like, is she the person that's censoring your pedophilia content or, or is she a pedophile? Um, also it was on her LinkedIn. Like she wasn't trying to hide it. It was, you know, her, her graduate thesis. Is that what you call it? I think that's what you call it. Um, Anyway, they fired her. Nintendo of America was like, no, nah, we're not dealing with this. They fired her. 
she was on vacation, I think, with her husband, like maybe even in Japan or something. They fired her in an email while she's on vacation. Um, that I specifically remember that all went down. I think Colin and Xavier were visiting Finley at the time, and we went out to eat at a Mexican restaurant, and it was so bothering me. I think I even told Xavier, who, who like this is his area of expertise and stuff, like gender studies and feminism and all that. I was like, yeah, I'll be honest. I never fully understood like why, why is feminism like a needed concept until now? Again, this is me like a decade ago or whatever. So I understand feminism, at least a decent chunk now. I didn't back then. And it was this, it was this just pure abuse of a human being. And that even, yeah, this massive corporation that could stand behind her and just end it all in an instant, or at least suppress it all in an instant. Sorry. <laughs> I listened back to some of the recording and the drill isn't coming through that badly. Uh, but I also, I can't hear myself think when that drill is going on. I'm not going to spend too much more time on this. This just keeps getting interrupted. Apparently God uh, hates feminism based on the timing of this drilling happening repeatedly. Um, yeah, Nintendo could have stood by her and they did not. And they fired her and said, uh, fuck Nintendo, especially Nintendo of America, not just Nintendo of America though. Uh, you know, there's a story, uh, that the, the boo in Mario, Hey, this is a good weekend to talk about. I guess we've got a new Mario game, a new 2d Mario game out that the, the boo in Mario was based on, was it Takeshi Tezuka's wife? I think it based on the wife of an employee at Nintendo. And I think it was Tezuka and that, the the boo is based on her because like she would be all shy when you're talking to her, but then like behind your back, she's like talking shit or whatever. Uh, that isn't it. I see that story cited a lot. Uh, I believe that came from an Iwata asks, or there was an Iwata asks where Miyamoto talked about it. It was specifically, she was mad because her husband was being forced to crunch <laughs> to finish Mario three or whatever. It was probably Mario three. I imagine because that was the first Mario game that had booze in it. Um, that it's not like a funny story. Like her husband is being forced to crunch to finish a game and stay and, and devote his whole life to, to finishing a fucking game. And she must have, I don't, I don't know if she contacted Nintendo or, or, or what. Um, but then they they were like, oh yeah, that fucking bitch. <laughs> we're just gonna turn her into a, sh a shitty enemy in the game. Let's have her represented like this. You know, like that sucks. <laughs> Not just from like uh, treating your employee poorly standpoint, but again from like a feminism standpoint. Like, what what value does this woman add? Like she's just your wife. You have to stay home and or you have to stay here and fix this game or cope with this game. It's a bunch of fucking bullshit, man. Don't devote your life to some fucking corporate entity. Um, and and again, the excuse that like, well, it gave us Mario 3. Bitch, we would have got Mario 3 a couple months later. Like, it's not <laughs> it's not that big of a fucking deal. You're sacrificing people's humanity and their life and their happiness uh, to make uh, more money sooner. Like, not even more money inherently, but more money sooner. Uh, fuck that shit. As a last thing, uh, 
in regards to all this stuff. And again, I realize this isn't inherently all unionization stuff, though it, it is to a certain degree. Uh, Katie Casper, who is a also a recent employee of Nintendo, um, she was like on the indie side of things. Uh, I believe she was even the one that like had to convince her bosses to have Hollow Knight Silk Song at E3. What was that? 2019 that she had to like fight for it. Uh, she, um, she, she also appeared in some, I, I forget if they were general directs or just indie world things, but you know, she, she was high up enough and important enough to, to be making appearances there and whatever. Um, she, she left the company. Um, she has, uh, I don't know if they're still up. I, I don't know if she even still has a Twitter account. I haven't looked in a long time. Uh, but she posted like a series of blog posts about her time at Nintendo and the abuse, both like verbal and like sexual abuse that she was subjected to at Nintendo of America. And again, not a contractor. I don't believe, I believe she was a full-time full, uh, Nintendo employee. Um, so don't, don't defend these fucking corporations. <laughs> it's, I guess all I'm really saying, um, Doug Bowser can go fuck himself. Nintendo of America in general can go fuck himself. Gamergate losers. You can please just fucking die. <laughs> I, I have nothing else to say. Um, it just sucks, man. We probably shouldn't have ended <laughs> on this note, I guess. Um, union, unionize. Everyone should fucking unionize. Especially uh, in the gaming industry and especially at Nintendo. It sounds like y'all need it maybe more than other companies do. I don't know. But yeah, I think that's going to do it. Um, this drill has given me a headache and I'm going to have to edit around some stuff anyway. So it's... I really wanted to play more Spider-Man 2 today. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get much of a chance to now. Um, but thanks y'all for listening. Um, we'll keep you posted in the discord about the, uh, game and art stream we're planning tomorrow. I'll send out, I'll notify everyone, uh, if you're interested at all in coming, it, uh, it's worth it just to see my wife painting a, a, a cute picture. Uh, so please come on by if you're around when that goes up or if that goes up, but otherwise, uh, I guess we're not doing a games club this week. So we'll talk to you next week on games and news. Unionize, woo!